You're listening to audio from the Town Center campus of CA Church, located in downtown Coquitlam. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. Uh, guys, it's exciting to be with you. I, I, I'm, I'm really enjoying, and I, I hope for you it has been helpful uh, in the, the series that we've been walking through over this last month, the I Am uh, Jesus in His Own Words, uh, kind of how Jesus is explaining and giving us deeper truths uh, about who He is and why He came. And these are not um, just stories that we walk through and we listen and we go, oh yeah, that's what that means. We're meant to walk away afterwards. They are, they are meant to be life changing mic drop truth bombs that we're meant to walk out here and have our lives drastically change. So before we even step into what, what we would have God say to us this morning, we need to ask ourselves, why did we come to church this morning? Did we come because that's what we do? Did we come because that's how I grew up? Did we, did we come because otherwise Brad might see me at the mall and go, hey, where were you? Like, is that why? Or is there more to it than that? Are we coming here with our hands wide open saying, God, what do you want to say to me today? And how do you want it to change my life? Because many will go to church for, for decades and will never come with that posture and therefore will never be changed. And we'll say, where's the joy? Where's the hope? How come my identity does not feel secure in Christ? Because we're coming in and out and just doing the practice. So I want to invite you this morning uh, to, to just kind of take a moment to center our hearts and minds onto what God would want to say to you and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you this morning through his words. God, we invite you here and we thank you that you have not left it to us to figure things out on our own, but you've revealed yourself. You've revealed yourself through creation and you've revealed yourself through your word. And so as we explore it this morning, I pray you would enliven our hearts, you would open our, our spiritual eyes to see what you might be saying to us. And what an excitement, what a privilege and what an honor to read the, the stories of Christ, to read about you, Jesus, and read your words so that we can apply them to our lives. And I pray that would be our goal, that whatever you are about to say to us, we will be obedient. And we will say, yes, Lord, we will listen. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, if you have a Bible, turn to the Gospel of John chapter 11. The Gospel of John chapter 11. Now, for those of you who are astute, you'll, you'll say, hey, how come we're not doing the Good Shepherd? That naturally comes out of what you preached last week, Pastor. But the reason we're not is because in a few weeks, uh, Pastor Sam is actually going to be here, and he's going to deliver that message. So I'm leaving that uh, for him. And he's going to nail it because he's practicing it today up at Mariner. So he's going to come here, and he's just, it's going to be so good. He'll have, he'll have done it a handful of times already. Um, but in this text that we're looking at today, and we see kind of a, 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 a question for, or a, a, scenario of the, a scenario of those who are frustrated with God, who are asking God questions like, how come you didn't show up when I asked you to show up? Jesus, we prayed and you weren't here. We told you what the problem was, was and you didn't show up when we asked. So, I mean, we've never asked questions like that, so that we might not think this is applicable. Or, on the flip side, maybe more honestly, we've all asked that kind of question. God, we've, everyone in this room, on different levels, have walked through difficulty, whether it be financially, whether we've lost someone we love, whether we have, uh, our relationships haven't turned out the way we thought they would, and we said, Jesus, we called on you, and you didn't show up. This story is for you. 
Out of respect for God's word, I'm going to invite you to stand. And we are going to read from verses, we're going to be kind of looking at the whole chapter, but right now we're going to read from verses 11 through to 26. I can't put the mic down because I don't have one up here. (laughs) Just realize that. Sorry, I said 11, didn't I? Uh, Chapter 11, 17 to 26. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at that last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? The word of God to us this morning. You can be seated. Guys, this is a story about perspective, about having the right perspective. In the middle of our questions, in the middle of suffering, trying to understand the heart of God, this story, this chapter that we'll look at is, is meant to help us get, uh, get off ground level and have a wider perspective. And it's, it's meant to help us escape sometimes the, the kind of original, uh, rigid personal timelines that we have so that we can live within God's perfect timing. So the question for us is, is how is our perspective? What is our perspective like? So we watch the news as we come upon conflict in our life. We come through suffering. What is our perspective like? We, we all have things we do when we need uh, perspective. When I am stuck in traffic... Um, I can either just sit there and be frustrated, which I I never do. Some people do. I don't. But if I want to know what is going on down the road, I I tune in to News 1130. News 1130 has someone in a helicopter. News 1130 has people calling in saying, I was just there. This is what it is. I know what's going on. Don't even worry about it. That's if 1130 was in New York, apparently. But anyway, you don't even worry about it. Or someone's in a helicopter, and they've got a view, and they see all the way down the highway and say, this is what's going on. Uh, It's almost done, and you're going to continue through. The road still exists far beyond where you're going. It'll still be there. Uh, at home, maybe you've done this. If the power goes out, you for me, what I do is I go on Twitter and I type in BC Hydro, and they show you images like this. So I know, so those of you on Burke, it's not good. Um, but so I know uh, that I'm not the only one in this predicament. I know that there's still uh, kind of a map out there that's showing what's going on. And usually when you do that, it also gives you a timeline. that says, well, this should be done in three hours, which is always nice. Not always accurate, but it's nice that they throw that out there. Uh, If I'm lost and I'm driving somewhere, I go to Google Maps. This morning, I almost got lost on the way to church. So I use that to get from my home. Now you all know where I live. I live right by the cat and the fiddle and and the gun range. So so be careful. Don't just come knocking on my door. You got to give me a warning because who knows what's going on in my neighborhood. Um, But this is what I do when I'm lost. Now, if all of a sudden I lose data, which is not uncommon, even though I've got five gigs a month, but I have no data, 
But I'll, I'll have to think now, did all those roads just disappear? Or I have to remember, okay, I, I know the map. I've been around that map before. All, all those roads just didn't just drop off the face of the earth because that data disappeared. I can still trust that they are still there because I've seen the larger map. I'm not as sure, but I'm still pretty sure and have faith in what I saw and faith in the larger map. It'll still get me to my destination. In this story that, that we've read and we're going to continue to look at, we're learning about how God deals and feels about our predicament. And it offers you and I perspective for how we walk through suffering, how we walk through joy, how we look at even joy in our lives, how we, how we walk in the gospel. It tells us that we, we get off ground level and we, get, we gain a divine perspective first when we trust in Jesus' timing. When we trust in Jesus' timing. Revisiting verse, uh, verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. That is bad timing from our perspective. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. And many Jews had, had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Scripture makes it clear Throughout, throughout the, test, the, the, the Old and the New Testament, that God is on his own clock. That God is on his own time. That he will not be rushed to go faster than what his divine purpose uh, dictates. And he will also not be slowed in accomplishing his divine purpose. Romans 5, 6 says, you see, we have that, you see, ju at just the right time. Listen, I at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Uh, Paul writes that. Paul writes in Galatians 6, 9 as well. Or does he? He does. Let us not become weary in doing good, even though we get tired of it, even though we wonder, should I, should I continue to walk in God's way, in the way of the gospel? For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. In Ecclesiastes 3.1, Solomon writes this, there's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. And first in Peter, first Peter, Peter writes this, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. But why, Je why does Jesus wait? We get it, God's on his, own, on his own time, God does everything at the right time. Why does the son of the living God wait to show up? And we see, we see what I think is a little animosity here. Surely, uh, every hour Mary has been stepping out of her house and looking out to see if Jesus is showing up. Surely, as she kneels next to Lazarus and prays and speaks words of comfort, she's probably saying things, don't worry, Jesus is coming. Don't worry, Jesus is on his way. Things we've whispered to people we love, things we've told ourselves over and over. And then death comes. And Mary and Martha are probably saying, Surely, surely Jesus is going to come. We, we've seen him do this kind of stuff before. Surely he's going to come. Then the, the burial, right? And then the burial comes. Surely Jesus can still come and do something. The ongoing mourning going on. No Savior, no Jesus. It's no wonder that in verse 20 it says that Mary, Martha runs out and Mary stays home. <laughs> you might wonder if she stays home probably with her arms cross, like, thanks for nothing, Jesus. And it seems that Martha maybe ran out to give Jesus a piece of her mind. If, you, if you'd been there, if you'd been here, Jesus, he would not have died. Like, 
it, it's a pretty straightforward calculation from our angle, Jesus. If you, if you had been here, Lazarus, your friend, by the way, would still be alive. And then maybe perhaps remembering the Psalms, remembering uh, the Psalms of David, remembering the prophets, remembering Joseph in Egypt, remembering the deliverance of God's people. She maybe kind of pulls back and goes, but even still, you can probably still do something. So why does Jesus wait? Well, it's some interesting reasons. First is to show his power. In in 11 verse 4, if you guys want to, if you have it in front of you, you can look back as I look at these verses. In verse 4 of chapter 11, it says, when he heard of this, when Jesus heard about this, he said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. So he waits because something great is going to happen through this whole experience. Something wonderful is going to happen. Lazar- and then when we get to the story, Lazarus has been dead for four days already. Jesus, this loving shepherd we learned last week, he's the last to show up. We got friends from Jerusalem have shown up, it says in verse 19. But he seems to be saying some sort of power is going to be shown if he waits, and only if he waits. So there's actually some very practical reasons for why uh, Jesus waits to arrive. Christian theologian D.A. Carson, he explains it uh, this way in his book, Scandalous. He says, the delay turns on something that is a little strange to most Western societies, but would have been easily understood in the first century. In fact, it would have been understood even in much of the Western world until 100 or 150 years ago. There was a Jewish superstition that when you die, your spirit hovers over you for up to three days and then departs. And at that point, no resuscitation is possible. And so that you actually read in, in rabbinical works, in rabbinical commentaries, the idea that the soul kind of hangs out for about three days. And then it says, intending to re-enter it. But as soon as it sees its appearance change, in other words, once things are getting ugly, things are getting smelly, things are decomposing, the spirit goes, no, I guess we're out, and then departs. That's when death is deemed irreversible. When Jesus waits four days and he shows up in Bethany, everybody there is beyond hope. It's done. There is no possible way. This is not just a fever that someone gets up from. This is done. The spirit is gone. They're done. At times, there would have actually been those placed in the tombs. Because you don't wait in the Middle East to bury or to to put in tombs. Uh, There would be times where it's like someone wakes up in a cold tomb. Um, guys, I was only mostly dead. And you hear knocking, hear yelling because they weren't, in fact, dead. Jesus was making sure that they knew for sure it was beyond hope without Jesus arriving. In fact, more recently, within the last few hundred years, uh, a bell with a string was attached from above ground all the way down to a coffin. Saved by the Bell was not just a horrible 90s show. It's actually a saying that comes from the idea, uh, it's also not a boxing uh, phrase, it actually comes from the idea that people were often buried by accident. And every once in a while you would hear from the local cemetery, ding, 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 I was only mostly dead. So in order to show God's power over death, Lazarus needed to be, well, dead. 
There could be no doubt. But there's also another reason for Jesus waiting. And if you look at verse 5, if you got, some of you have your Bibles out, look to verse 5 of chapter 11. Can you, can you see what the reason is there that Jesus waited? Call it out if you see it. It's really strange. He loved them. Are these not the two strangest verses to have next to each other? Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was. Didn't jump on a horse, didn't go galloping there, didn't run. Wasn't like the, the, the father of the prodigal son who went running towards. None of that. Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, hey, let's go back to Judea. Because he loved them, he waited. I wonder how that would go over in my home. When my wife says, I'm having a bad day, I need you home right now. And I tell people at work, and they say, shouldn't you get there? And I say, no, out of love. I'm going to wait three or four hours before I head home. And I get home, and Elenia says to me, where were you? And I say, out of love. I took my time. Stopped, did some shopping. To show his love. The story implies that there was more Jesus could do for their lives and more for their strength and the depth of their faith by waiting. Jesus was concerned for their eternal perspective. He was concerned for their ongoing understanding of the perfect timing, the unrelenting love and ultimate power of God. And because of that, Jesus waits. For their spiritual maturity, he allows suffering for a time so that an explosion of God's power and an explosion of love would shower over them when he did arrive. It is hard. It was hard for Mary and Martha. It was hard for those who surrounded them. But we're called to trust Jesus' timing. The other thing we're meant to gain from this story, I believe, it, this story also helps us gain divine perspective and, and a trust of Jesus' heart, an understanding of Jesus' heart. We already saw last week that, that Jesus wept over Jerusalem since it was lost and it had no great leadership and it had no wisdom leading it. Here again, several times we see that, that even as Jesus steps into this story, about to do something life-shattering, Jesus knowing full well who he was, that he was the resurrection and the life, we see his heart broken throughout this scene. In verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Verse 35 tells us that his troubled spirit manifests itself with weeping. It says it was evident through everyone who was there that he must have loved Lazarus as he weeps. And again, in verse 38 of chapter 11, it says, Jesus once more, deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. In the shortest verse in all the scripture, Jesus wept, it says in verse 35. And you need to know, and some of you might have a different translation, that some trans translators translate Jesus wept as Jesus was angry. Or, or, or these, these other aspects where he said he was deeply moved. It's, it's, there's an anger in Jesus. He's angry at the power of sin and death over his creation. And it breaks him up inside. And he weeps. 
And maybe there's an aspect of Jesus looking at this tomb and saying, you know, the only way to correct this problem for all of those I love is for me to spend time in a tomb. And you wonder if Jesus, knowing where all of this was leading, was maybe looking at this tomb and and sensing a bit of the burden coming on himself. This is a, a visual of an area that he will occupy very soon so that you and I never have to occupy that for an eternity. But I think more than that, I think, which is evident throughout the text, is that our pain is his pain. Our pain is, this is so overlooked. Our pain is his pain. That, that God is not way off. God has never been way off. He's tried to make it very clear throughout Scripture that, that our misery and our pain is shared by him. Exodus 3, verse 7, as, as God was looking at his children in Israel, it says, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. In Isaiah 63, 9, it says, In all their distress, he too was distressed. And the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and mercy, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. And again, in the Gospel of Luke, we get a glimpse of this heart as Jesus looks at Jerusalem and his heart breaks. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets, you who've stoned those sent to you, how often I've longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you weren't willing. His broken heart. You get this, this sense throughout Scripture of a God whose heart is broken. It's broken when we reject him. It's broken when we run after lifeless pursuit. And, and, it, and it's broken when, when sin and death have their way with us. Your burden is his burden. Your broken heart is his broken heart. When you are rejected, he feels rejected. When you lose, he feels loss. The sin around you and the sin that, that binds and, and breaks your heart breaks his heart as well. When we are seated in the hospice next to someone we love, he weeps. When our, when our spouse no longer shows us affection, when our spouse wanders away and we feel alone, when our spouse gives up, on our relationship, he weeps. When our child runs, he weeps. When we can't say no to the bottle or we can't say no to the pills, when we can't say no to some sort of addiction, he weeps. When we become comfortable with anger and and fear, he weeps. The sin that attacks us and the sin that we perpetrate, it causes our Savior to weep. And, and, and on our side, from our, our view, from ground level, we say, well, Jesus, if it hurts so much, show up. If it hurts so much, Jesus, quickly come. Maranatha, quickly come. Bring about this, this full resurrection. Put, it, put, it, put an end to all of it. And in the same way that John says it, that, that Jesus does this out of love, Peter writes the same thing in 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Scripture seems to imply that it's out of love that he waits. 
It's out of love to give more opportunity, to teach us more, to grow us more. It's, it's his love for creation. It's his love for you and I, the, the human condition that causes him to weep. But as we wait, we look at Christ, we look at God in, in human flesh, we see Jesus before the grave of his beloved friend Lazarus, before a closed, sealed stone grave, sealed with a heavy stone. It seems like the story must be over. It seems to everyone who's attending this funeral and weeping that the story must that this story ends on a very bitter, sad note. Or now that Jesus has shown up, maybe this funeral is about to become a party. That things are about to flip on their head. We see here what what it looks like when he who is the resurrection and the life steps into a funeral, steps into our darkness, steps into brokenness, we get a better view. We move from the ground level to the helicopter. Our, our Google Maps kicks back in, and we get a larger view of what's going on. We get off ground level, and we gain divine perspective when we trust in Jesus' timing, when we trust his heart is for us, and also when we trust in his power. The power that we see in this story, the power that was evident in his life, which were all signs pointing to a greater revelation coming one day. Pointing to his own resurrection and pointing to our resurrection and a new creation. In verses 25 to 27, Jesus gives a bit of a, sort of kind of hopping around here. Jesus gives a bit of a theology lesson. He kind of drops a, a truth bomb and, and then he backs it up in verses 38 to 44. So he teaches in 25 to 27, then he backs up his teaching in 38 to 44. Mary says, listen, if you were here, my brother, your friend, by the way, would not have died. Your brother will rise again, Jesus says. Yes, yes, yes. He will rise again with the resurrection, that far off kind of thing that we don't really understand, that resurrection that's going to happen one day. Yes, I get that, that, that he will rise then. That's great theology, Jesus. What have you done for me lately? See, Mary, and Mary doesn't have the concept that you and I have of resurrection. She had this concept that kind of birthed out of some of the teachings in, in Daniel and some of what the rabbis and, and the Greeks had been kind of mulling over, but didn't exactly know how, what resurrection was going to look, look like. And we see this kind of in her statement in 24. She answered, I know he will rise again uh, in the resurrection at the last day. Well, when's the last day? I don't know when the last day is. And Jesus, in his response, he says, listen, what you are waiting for, clarification and, and a guarantee of, of the promises of God, I am it. I am those promises. Verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me, that means right now, live our lives believing in him, will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus brings this massive, confusing concept, and he focuses it in on himself. And then in verse 38, we see him bring some solidity to his promise, to his statement. Verse 38 says, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. All of these are meant to show us it, it, this is impossible. This is a sealed deal. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by, the, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. If you have the King James, you get a treat, because it says, Dear Lord, he doth stinketh. That's just a butte. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and then Jesus looked up to the Father. He said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. 
I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. Do you ever do those prayers where it's like a teaching prayer with the person you're sitting with? You're like, and I just really pray that this person would get how much they need to follow you and love you and just, you know, they got a lot of anger in their life, Jesus, and I just pray. I love, the, I love that Jesus does a teaching prayer here. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. This is foreshadowing for everyone who follows Jesus. Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen. I don't know if he had to hop out or what. Get me out of this. And cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. In Jesus' words, followed by his confirming action, he's saying, everything God has promised, everything about new life, everything about salvation, everything about a new creation, all the questions that God's promises have, have left you with, I answering, I'm answering them right now. I am the physical answer. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1.20, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Jesus is the yes of God, the amen of God, that you are seen, that you are loved, and that you are pursued. And what he promises will take place. Jesus, by declaring himself the resurrection and the life and, and backing it up with the resurrection of Lazarus, declares not only to Lazarus, not only to Mary and Martha, not only to all their friends from Jerusalem, but to you and I, that we need to take off our grave clothes and live in the new life that the resurrection and the life offers us. Too many people have been called out of the, the tomb and are still standing there all wrapped up. This is his guarantee. The ultimate guarantee is his own life. Nothing, nothing else that this world can offer you, nothing else that this, this world names, that, that calls life comes close to this display. No other offer of fulfillment, identity, and a future comes with this kind of guarantee. The ultimate guarantee being his own life. You can trust what I say because only I can live, die, and be resurrected again. He guarantees with his own life. His own life, death, and resurrection are our guarantee that his timing is perfect, his heart is for us, and he has the power to accomplish all that he has promised us. That's why the Apostle Paul, who, believe me, had reason to doubt. The Apostle Paul, sitting in a prison because he kept proclaiming the resurrected Christ. If anyone had reason to deconstruct, it was Paul saying, where are you in the midst of this? He writes this to a church that he's trying to encourage from prison. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called us, that he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for the, us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. His timing is perfect. His heart is for us. And he has the power to accomplish all he has promised. What a powerful display. Everything else you're promised in this world cannot have this kind of guarantee stamped on it. Not, not the, the, the resurrection of the Son of God. One theologian said that if Jesus had not stipulated Lazarus come out, that all the graves in Jerusalem might have burst open. 
It's like, Lazarus, and only Lazarus. You guys stay there. We'll get to you later. Not you. It's kind of like when I call one of our dogs, both of them come running to me. Like, not you. You go back. You. You come here. Lazarus, come out. Now, at one level, that sounds kind of hyperbolic, that everyone would have burst out of the tomb. But on another level, that's exactly right. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 to 17 said, the, the Lord himself will come down from heaven one day with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. And on that day, Paul writes in Philippians, that na- the, on that day, the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glo- glory of God the Father. And at that point, God's dwelling will be among his creation. And it says in Revelation 21, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more pain or death. There'll be no more mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And the reason we can believe all of those things is because he proved his power in the resurrection of Lazarus. And he proved his power, stamped his power in his own resurrection. So how is your perspective? What is your perspective based on? Your level of anxiety and anger and fear and sadness will depend on your perspective. All of their perspectives changed that day. I guarantee it. It will depend on whether or not you will listen to the voice of Jesus who says, come out and be in that cave no more. Remove those funeral clothes. Clothe yourselves in in the hope that I've offered, the future that I have offered, and the future that I've backed up with the strongest display of power the world has ever seen. And he's still calling people out. Whatever you're entombed by, whether it be fear, whether it be anger, man, anger can be warm us up at times. So we're sweating. Sometimes we wrap ourselves in that anger and that fear. What, I, what, what tomb are you in? Maybe it's the tomb of having to be in a relationship. That can be a tomb. Having to please other people, having to, to, to get the recognition you deserve. Maybe that's the t- maybe you're just in the tomb of trying to prove yourself and save yourself and be perfect. Jesus says, "Come out of there and take those clothes off. Put on my hope, put on my identity. Put on the future that only I can give you." He's not done raising people from the dead. In the words of the theologian Lauren Daigle, he's still rolling stones. If you only have a ground-level perspective, you will face day after day of seemingly insurmountable, unchangeable circumstances. Jesus said to him, and he says to you, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? This is the foundation of our story as Christians. It's a history-altering question. It has changed the trajectory of humanity. And it can change the trajectory of your life. It is the point we return to over and over to, to gain perspective and to get off ground level so that we can see our story from a higher level. And it's why Jesus gave us the Lord's Supper. 
So that when we gather together and we have the Lord's Supper, we're reminded that we are in a much larger story than what's right in front of us. It's meant to be revisited over and over. So on the night that Jesus was going to be taken, he knew full well what his disciples were going to be stepping into. He knew the hopelessness that they were going to be stepping into just over the next few days. But then as the church spread throughout the Roman Empire, he knew they were going to be persecuted. He knows exactly what you walked in with here today. He knows what you're going to struggle through this next week, more than you do, by the way, but that's already got you super anxious. He knows about that. He knows the suffering that came up just while I was giving this message. The suffering that you've walked through and you went, yeah, Jesus, it would have been nice if you showed up. He knows that. And that's why he wants to continue to anchor us in his larger narrative. And so on the night that Jesus was going to be betrayed by Judas, he took bread and he took a cup. And he invited his disciples to take the bread. And he said, whenever you take this bread, I want you to remember that my body was given for you as a payment. And then after the meal, he took the cup. And he said, whenever you drink this cup together, together, and you're meant to do it together, whenever you do that, I want you to remember that my body was spilt as a payment for your sin. And in doing so, we are welcomed into a, a far more beautiful narrative than you and I could ever create ourselves. One that takes care of our past. One that will lead to all these beautiful promises culminating, as I read in, in Revelation 21, where God will be with man and there will be no more death and there will be no more mourning. That is, we're celebrating that entire story. We look back to Christ's sacrifice and we look forward to his return. That is the story that you are in if you are a Christ follower. That story of living life in, in, in this beautiful narrative of the gospel and that those who, who follow Jesus and claim him to be king will one day be raised to new life. That's the, those are the bookends of your story if you're a Christ follower. And it's not a just, let's just hunker down until Jesus comes. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection of life. Live in that truth now. This is a world that's trying to blind you to hope a world that's saying the sky is falling, and Jesus says, no, 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 live in this story. Live in the beauty of the resurrection. I don't care how solid that stone looks like that's in front. I don't care how, how tightened you feel by, by the funeral clothes. This story sets you free from that tomb. That is the invitation of communion. God of grace, thank you that you are a God of hope. That you're not a God who has um, put heavy burden on us that we cannot uh, fulfill. Knowing our hearts very well, knowing uh, your creation very well, you sent your son to live, to die, to take the punishment that belonged to us so that we no longer have to live in the environment, whether it be physically or emotionally and spiritually, the environment of a tomb. But much like Lazarus, you invite us to burst out of the tomb, all based on your great display of your own life, death, and resurrection. And so I thank you that as we take this communion this morning, we are reminded of the beautiful narrative. The beautiful narrative that tells us that your timing is perfect. The beautiful narrative that tells us that your heart is for us. That you are not stoic and far away. You are very near.
And we thank you that this, this communion reminds us of your great power because you declare that we will eat it together until you return. What a beautiful story to be a part of. We remember your sacrifice, but we also look forward to your return. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of CA Church.